IndieCast is presented by Uproxx's Indie Mixtape. Hello everyone and welcome to IndieCast. On this show we talk about the biggest indie news of the week, we review albums, and we hash out trends. In this episode we review the new album by Arcade Fire. My name is Stephen Hyden, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host. He will be inducting Carly Simon into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Ian Cohen. Ian, how are you? I, I love when you like come in hot with these Rock and Roll Hall of Fame jokes, because no matter like what you say about whether we're in the induction phase or the processing phase, like I'm always going to believe whatever you say about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is true. Like I, I Carly Simon seems like the type who gets inducted every single year. Is that like a thing where... You know, it's like they have, like, repeat inductees. I don't think so. I mean, yeah, I I know what you mean. It (laughs) it seems like, okay, there is a 70s soft rock singer-songwriter who you haven't thought about in a long time. They're getting inducted in the Rock and Roll Mm -hmm. Hall of Fame. It does seem like there's, like, one person like that. Yes. Well, (laughs) Let's not knock Jim Croce. I don't know. I wonder if Jim Croce's in the hall, uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I don't know. Croce, uh, uh, I got a name. That's a that's a hot hit. Yeah. Uh, bad bad Leroy Brown. Oh, yeah. Time in a bottle. Uh, okay, we are pivot. I was I was expecting to rep Croce in this episode. Yeah, we're pivoting just- from Arcade Fire to Jim Croce. This is a Jim Croce episode. We, I mean, the reviews have spoken. We're off Arcade Fire on a Jim Croce. Let's do this. Yeah, let's do the. We'll do the Croce retrospective. I <laughs> I, I like that idea because apparently I need to school you because you know Croce has like about I would say a good half dozen jams and after that I don't know his catalog that well but uh, he's like that's like ultimate dad rock. Oh yeah, he's like first ballot dad rock Hall of Famer. Um, yeah, the 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 inductees were announced this week. And Carly Simon was among them. You had Eminem getting in. Oh. You had Duran Duran okay. getting in. Dolly Parton got in, even though she asked yeah. not to get in. People were just like, we have to stand yeah. for Dolly no matter what. <laughs> um, and I'm trying to remember who else was. I'm, I'm like rapidly pulling up the list of yeah, nominees. I did this too because like I missed the in- like I missed the whole thing entirely. It's like the Stanley Cup Finals where if you don't look at ESPN for those two hours, it just moves on to something else. There was a I found out there are subcategories of the inductees. The, I mean, I imagine you know this, right? Yeah. So there's the core that the voters put in, and I should mention Pat Benatar, the Rhythmics. Uh, Lionel Richie, I don't remember if I said him or not. Nope. The, the, anyway, that rounds out uh, the inductees this year. Yeah, so there's the people that the voters vote in. And then, like, there's these other categories that I think are just awarded. Musical excellence. That, yes. <laughs> that's how Judas Priest got <laughs> And in. Jimmy Jam Priest... and Terry Lewis. Like, those yes. – what like, was Rob Halford, like, a, like a low-key, like, songwriting maven in the 80s for metal bands the way, like, J- T- Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis were in R&B? Like, he wrote the best songs that made kids uh, want to commit suicide. <laughs> I think that oh, was, that, that's what he's being honored for uh, this year. Um, I'm happy to see Judas Priest getting yeah. in, actually, just because, the, like, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is uh, really bad at honoring metal bands. Uh, there's there's so few metal bands that have made it in. Like last year, Iron Maiden oh. was on the ballot, and that was the first year I could vote, and I voted for Iron Maiden because, in terms of metal, I mean they are like a top five most important band. Yeah. I think indisputable. Wait, is Metallica think, in there yet? Metallica's in okay. there. Uh, Black Sabbath is in there. Okay. Um, I don't. I can't remember if Deep Purple is in, yeah. but like oh. beyond that, there's like nothing. Like Slayer's not in. Right. Uh, you know, Anthrax. Uh, you know, all the like 80s Megadeth. Uh, Apparently between like Ozzy and Metallica, a metal band can only be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame if they've been televised going to therapy. Yeah, I think so. I think that, so, uh, you know, Bruce Dickinson of, uh, of, uh, Iron Maiden, he needs to go on a reality show. Yeah. Uh, celebrity metal singer, (laughs) uh, something like that. Um, I wrote a column this week. Uh, where I, I got sucked into Rock and Roll Hall of Fame discourse. Oh, Lord. Uh, because I, I, I wanted to write about how there's this weird bias with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame towards uh, alt-rock and indie rock. Hmm. Uh, and this year, that was manifested with uh, Beck and Rage Against the Machine not getting in. And 
look, we, we, we've taken shots at Beck on this podcast. Oh, yeah. and, we'll, and we'll continue uh, to do it. But, you know, reasonable people can disagree. I would, I would uh, argue that Beck is more significant than, say, Carly Simon or the Arrhythmics. Uh, maybe. I don't know. Certainly, I think Rage Against the Machine... Uh, you know, they've been on the ballot a few times now. How are they, I think how are they, they were, not in? Like, Tom Morello well, is damn near, like, Dave Grohl rock and roll ambassador status. Well, this is something I, I wrote about because I don't know if you saw this. Like, Vulture ran an interview earlier this week with two unidentified Rock Hall voters. Yeah. And they did one of those, like, uh, candid ballots. Like, where they go through all I the, think I reached my article limit with Vulture, so I haven't seen it. Well... It's because they like Hollywood Reporter does this with uh, the Oscars, like where they interview uh, Oscar voters and like they give their honest opinion about the nominees. And it's usually it just shows like how insane (laughs) voters are, like how terrible their tastes are. And um, neither one of these voters voted for Beck or Rage Against the Machine. One of the but what 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 one of them said about Rage Against the Machine, I thought was interesting. The person said it's too early for Rage Against the Machine. Their music holds up well, but there are bands that are decades older but before them that have not been inducted, like Jane's Addiction and Fishbone. You got to get them in first, and then we'll talk about Rage Against the Machine. Right. And I wrote about this in my column. Um, the first Rage Against the Machine record came out a full 30 years ago <laughs> at this point. Tom Morello turns 58 mm-hmm. later this month, which means that he's been el- eligible to join AARP since 2014, wow. but he's still too young for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I just feel like this is an example of something that that seems like a mindset with the voters that they're more willing at this point to induct second and third tier pop and soft rock stars from the 70s and 80s than like really important bands from the 80s and 90s that appeal to kids and young and young people. Yeah. Like this bias still exists. Mm. Uh, it's really weird. Like that band, that, that book, our band could be your life. The famous Michael Azrad book about eighties indie rock. It profiles 13, you know, well-known and well-respected bands. Not one of those bands is in the rock and roll hall of fame. Just like to give you an example. And like in my story, I, I list all of the bands from, you know, alt rock bands, indie rock bands from the eighties and nineties that are not in and aren't really even being considered year to year. Uh, to me, it's the weirdest bias. Hmm. that the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame has. I think there's like this misconception that like most notable or maybe all notable rock bands have already been inducted. So now we can move on to different genres, but like there's still like a huge number of critically acclaimed and popular bands that aren't even considered. It's, it's, it's the weirdest thing about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah. Well, I mean with Rage Against the Machine, I just like when, when I think about like how old this band is, I remember I had a friend in a school named Lenny who claimed that he lost his virginity to bomb track. If he had a kid, then that kid (laughs) would be 28 years old now. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, it's, it's funny because yeah, like I see the list of these bands that aren't in like Soundgarden, Alice in Chains, and you know, like a lot of the bands that you're listing here, like you know Weezer or what have you. There'll probably be a time. I, I, like what I'm hoping is that one day, like you stick around long enough so that you become the cranky uh, guy who's like, I don't want to put glass animals in there, like, uh, but like you know, you're you're talking about like the the long standing influence of like. I don't know, Stone Temple Pilots or something like that. It'll happen to you, I, Steve. I think I'll be more open-minded than that. I, uh, I, I, I really feel like, it, like when Post Malone <laughs> is up for induction, I will – because I think the thing that – it seems like a lot of voters don't do this is that they are voting purely on their own preference and they're not taking into account the historical significance of – the nominee, you know, so maybe you're like, I really like Lionel Richie's Can't Slow Down, mm. and I don't like Rage Against the Machine's Evil Empire. Mm. Instead of saying, like, well, Rage Against the Machine, they were a pivotal band in bridging the gap between like hard rock and, and hip hop, yeah. which is obviously a hugely important development in music in the last 30 years. I mean, the innovations of a band like that, even if you don't like them, I feel like that should be taken into account. And it doesn't seem like. A lot of voters are doing that. I think that's also true of a band like Judas Priest, where, yeah, maybe you don't like Judas Priest, but in terms of defining the sound of an entire genre, I mean, they're clearly more important 
than like a lot of the artists that were on this ballot. So I don't know. It's, it's just like one of the many, many weird things about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And at the end of the day, <laughs> you start talking about this stuff and you feel like, oh, why am I being sucked into this discourse? Yeah. This is, I will only lose if I get sucked it, into it, this discourse, but I, I can't help. It's like my coworkers who are like always like who are talking about like the Bachelorette. It's like I can never tell like which season ends and which begins. It's just this like constant stream of me not knowing what's real and what's not. And so, um, yeah, good, like good for the rock and roll hall of fame. You know, one day Gavin Rossdale will be up there, uh, you know, and uh, acknowledging the importance of how, you know, machine head helped us make sense of the, uh, Clinton era or whatever. See, I, I, I still feel like in 10 years, if, if we continue on this path, yeah. we're not going to be seeing any nineties bands getting inducted. Yeah. Still, it's going to be like, uh, you know, Juice Newton and the Little River <laughs> Band getting in. You know, like, you know, good for them. Level. We'll start our own alt rock Hall of Fame, and it's going to be in like a mall parking lot. It's going to be designed to look like a Sam Goody. It's like, oh, finally, Poco got in the Rock and Roll That's Hall of Fame. Right, Thank man. you. America, you know? horse like, with no name, justice. Yeah, they, like, like that's where we're going to get to because it seems like the voters are just going deeper and deeper into like, like the second and third tiers of. You know, soft rock from the 70s Pure and 80s. Prairie League. When are they going to get yes. there, too? <laughs> yeah, like Howard Jones. Let's put Howard Jones in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I mean, that's where we're going to get to before they put Soundgarden in. You know, it's like, well, we can't. It's, it's too early for Soundgarden. We can't put Soundgarden in if Howard Jones isn't in first. We, we are giving the people what they want on this episode. <laughs> I mean, like, Chris Cornell, you know, he passes away. In 2017, and they still couldn't put Soundgarden yeah. in. You know, they couldn't even put him in at that point. You feel like that, like the momentum would be there yeah. to put him in, but they're still like, no, uh, let's put Chicago in. You know, make sure they're in. Again, it's a stupid thing to get angry about, and I'm not really angry. I'm just, I look at the logic of it, and it doesn't make sense to me. It, it, it confounds me mm-hmm. uh, that there's still this weird generational thing, even though like. The bands that we're talking about are old as shit too. Like they're old. Yeah. You know, like, like I'm complaining about the replacements not being in. Like a band's those old dudes as are shit. in their sixties. Yeah. Like they're in, like Paul Westbrook's in his sixties at this point. Like how old does he need to be? Mm-hmm. Is he going to be eighty? You know, before they finally put that band in. Anyway, we got to talk about uh, you know a comeback. Yeah. Speaking of, of speaking of old ass bands. Yes, and. I guess comebacks are going to be a theme of this episode Absolutely. because Arcade Fire, their new record is a comeback record mm-hmm. of sorts. Uh, but the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs, they're literally coming back. Yeah. In a sense. Were, were they actually broken up or was it just like a hiatus? Yeah. With them, it's like always a bit unclear because they take a very long time between records anyway. And they all have various pursuits, uh, you know, Karen O and Nick Zinner and, you know, the other guy who looks like Max Weinberg. Um, I can't remember his name. Brian Chase or something like that. Um, Post-punk Max yeah. Weinberg. He, yeah, that, they're just around and, you know, they never were, like, for most of their career, they've been like a quasi-inactive band. So... It's never been this long, though. I mean, because no. I think their last record... Was Mosquito? Yes, that was 2013. Yes, so nine years ago. Fuck man. Uh, which, by the way, um, and this is when podcasts fall short because we're obviously not a visual yeah. medium here. But not like yet. I, I ask you, you know, as you're listening to this, Google the album cover for Mosquito. It is one of the worst album it's, covers of all time. Oh, but it's so great though because it's not like uh, like it's not like ugly like this is a concept they didn't pull off. Like this is like garbage pale kids like they totally I guess that's the idea. It, I, I don't I, know what they were going for, but it's kind of Well, definitely cuz like the like the the type. Yeah. You know the type the 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 font or whatever for yeah yeah yes, it is a very garbage pale kitty type thing. We have to describe this for people cuz <laughs> yeah yeah yes, it's like written out in yellow letters and there's like green slime on it and then there's like a patina of like red slime around that. So that is not visually appealing. And then on the cover there's a what is this like a purple pink baby with spiky hair who's screaming with like a purple spider 
yeah. behind it, it and is this like an umbilical cord hanging down probably. or is that part of the spider leg? Yeah, it's a commentary no wait a minute that wasn't trump era i was about to say it's like probably some sort of metaphor for that but uh no that was like four years prior to that so yeah i can't really make heads or tails of it but good you know what it's just they're like an art school band so i imagine there was just some sort of high concept behind it um, I should look up the 2013 interviews for Yeah, 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 as they did any. I imagine 75 to 95% of them would be just about the cover. Yeah, I mean, I, I just wonder if they're referencing some highfalutin uh, artistic... Yeah, Cronenberg uh, body horror type thing. Yeah, that we're just too dumb to recognize. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's maybe that is the case here. But like, just as, you know, without context, just looking at this cover, just makes me think like this cover was so bad that they had to go on hiatus for the rest of the mm. decade. They had to hide out because they're like, we cannot put out another record <laughs> after we had this album cover. Uh, you know, we have other projects we want to do too, but yeah, the, the awfulness of this cover has forced us to go into hiding. Uh, but no, they're, 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 they just announced that they signed a record deal with secretly Canadian. Yeah. I think, I think they're still based in Indiana. Yeah. Secretly Canadian. Yeah. Um, which is kind of like an interesting combination. You have like this Midwestern record label working with this quintessential New York band. Yeah. Uh, they probably all live in LA now if we're being real. <laughs> <laughs> not not secretly True. Canadian. I'm talking about the yeah yeah yeahs. That all that that whole era. They all live in L.A. But I mean, well, everyone in New York lives in yeah, L.A. Of course, though, that's, that's uh, L.A. It's um. But yeah, I, when I when I saw that, it's like, um. I mean, it it is like an indie label, but like also, uh, you know, it's kind of in the secretly group that has like Phoebe and Mitski and Japanese Breakfast. That's probably better than being on a major label if like you're a guitar band these days, right? Yeah, and I mean that's the, obviously those are all big stars that you mentioned. Yeah. So you know clearly, uh, and they have a great history too. I mean they put out tons of great records over the mm-hmm. years. Um, where like where are we at with yeah yeah yes at this point? Like I always feel like they're a little bit underrated in terms of like that New York rock scene. You know we obviously talk about the Strokes a yeah. lot and Interpol. I guess yeah yeah yes would be like the third band in that yeah. uh, hierarchy and i would also say that of all the people in meet me in the bathroom karen O by like an insurmountable margin comes off as the most likable and level-headed and funny of that group i think the yeah yeah yes are um like their career trajectory is kind of similar to that of interpol or the strokes but if they've released like a third as many albums yeah and I would say that their quality control is pretty high too. Unlike some of those other groups, like yeah. I think that their albums like are pretty strong across the board. I don't, I don't remember much about Mosquito. No. I mean, maybe that was a a dud. I wrote, uh, I wrote some like I found this out just today that I wrote a best new track review of Sacrilege. I wow. don't remember that. Look at you. Yeah. This is this is what happens when like you're in the contributing editor mode. And you're just writing about fucking everything. But yeah, show your bones. I'm a show your bones truther. I think that record is really great and is kind of underrated. Um, or I don't know. Maybe I think that's sort of album that's like kind of been underrated for so long. It might be a little overrated at this point. But who knows? So according to Ian Cohen, Sacrilege shows that uh, they've been a big pop rock band for much longer than they were a bunch of beer soaked art brats. I think that's true. So- so sacrilege is yeah yeah yes being themselves. So yeah. apparently that was them being beer soaked art brats on that song. Uh, I don't know. I, I think guess that, I think it's more just like look, they're a major label rock band now. Like in in the same way that people would try to say like, oh, you know, the Strokes need to go back to the days where they were like, I don't, they were they were never in a garage. But you know what I mean. <laughs> well, I think it's safe to say that we're excited to hear a new yeah yeah yes record. I think that could be good. Yeah, why not? Could be good. Let's get to our mailbag segment. Thank you all for writing in. We haven't done a mailbag segment in a while because I no. almost died from COVID. I survived COVID. I, I was on my deathbed for a while, uh, but yeah. I came back and no, actually it wasn't, I wasn't that sick. Um, and then last week we didn't do it because we uh, just talked about 2002 albums the whole time. Um, yep. And that, I feel like that episode was well received, except there was some Flaming Lips fans out there who were. Not happy with us. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I could take that. And some on. sea change people, too. Some of the sea change people. Oh, okay. We're not happy with us. But other than that, <laughs> I think uh, I think it was good. Anyway, if you want to write us, hit us up at IndieCastMailbag at gmail.com. It's always great to hear from you. 
and we need the content. So please give us content. Uh, Ian, do you want to read uh, our letter this week? Yeah, this is a great question. So this is from Will in Long Island. I mean, just Will in Long Island. That's such Island. a great like, sports like... talk radio. You know, Will in Long Island. Uh, yeah. He's, uh, he wants to talk about the Mets. He's, he's angry about yeah, the Mets. Yeah, fucking Julius Randle, man. Uh, this is, I, don't, I can't do a Long Island accent. I'm, like, I'm doing like my Philly sports uh, radio It's all the same. There for some reason. It's all the same. Yeah. All right. So Will from Long Island says, uh, I own and operate a restaurant in a small town on Long Island. Because I am an IndyCast enthusiast, I'm sure it comes as no surprise to you that I think a lot about the playlist at my restaurant. Thinking about music in restaurants is nothing new to me, though. I lived for many years in New York City, and my wife, then girlfriend, and I lived in the East Village for the aughts, and our regular neighborhood joint could drop a Murr City Devils track. Woo! And then move on to Nancy Sinatra flawlessly, and it was grand. On the week it came out, they played Sleater Kinney's The Woods in its entirety. Uh, so my question is, what is your ideal restaurant music, and how would you handle the playlist if you had a restaurant in the area in an area where the majority of diners have never heard Pitfork or IndyCast or either of you, I, I can't fathom that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'll just answer the question. Where I, <laughs> I would just play episodes of IndyCast, like, like yeah. one after the other. That would be the only thing. Will I would has play. entered the realm of science fiction here. Uh, would you please people with current hits stick to your guns and play Scott Walker's The Drift if that was your fancy? It is not, but uh, play albums in full. So my guess is that Mr. Hyde is better suited for this request than Mr. Cohen. This is why you had me. Uh, Trust me, pal. Clarity would not fly. Ooh. So, yeah, I mean, he's probably not wrong. I don't know. I think you can play Goodbye Sky Harbor at the point where you kind of want to clear people out of the restaurant. Just like continue to play that last 10 minutes on a loop. Uh, but yes, so Steve, like you're, 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 you're opening your restaurant. What, what, what do you, what do you do here? Well, so I was thinking about this question and it reminded me that while the fantasy of having my own restaurant or bar and playing music that I love, mm-hmm. you know, seems really good in theory. I think in practice, it, it's actually kind of awful. Uh, because <laughs> like I, I haven't DJed that much in my life, but on the few occasions that I have, it made me realize that when you DJ for people, you have to take into account what people want and like, and you can't just play what you want, uh, because what you want may not appeal to them, or they may not understand certain transitions, or they may not recognize something, or they might be complaining. And then when they don't like it, you take it personally. And I'm way too selfish and self-absorbed to (laughs) want to do that. I just want to play music. I like, put on my headphones and enjoy it. And I don't really care what other people listen to. So in a way, I feel like I'm uh, not in a way I am avoiding this question because I don't really think in those terms and I don't want to think in those terms. I mean, look, just play uh, Motown songs or something. I mean, it seems like something everyone likes. I, I, I really, I, I guess I would say that like, especially if you have a business, and you want people to to eat there. I mean, that is the thing first and foremost that you should be concerned about, not whether you know they they appreciate some obscure deep cut that you're playing, uh, you know, over the PA. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I guess I would just totally pander to whatever yeah. I thought my customers liked, and then uh, you know, listen to music I like on my own time. Yeah, I'm a. Uh, I mean. If you're on Long Island, the first thing I really want to know is like, you know, are you catering to your clientele? Like, is this a small town in Long Island like where brand new is still uncanceled or you're going to play like the starting line or movie life? Well, probably just play Billy Joel. Just play like straight yeah. Billy oh, Joel. Yeah, that's good Because I, yeah, I assume seriously. he's huge on Long Island. Just, just play yeah. The Stranger over and over again. <laughs> that's, I mean, like you're not totally wrong, even if he wasn't on Long Island. Like I'm of the opinion that like restaurants can only worsen the experience with music. Like every now and again, you know, I'll – Like, I'll go into a restaurant and just kind of get a giggle out of the fact that maybe they're playing, like, the indie hits of, like, 2011 to 2012. It's like, oh, cool, this is, like, quasi-classic rock now. Or, you know, you go to, like, a Philadelphia pizza shop and they're playing, like, straight emo revival shit like I Kill Giants. But, um, I mean, for me, like, I I just got to address, like, the one thing I've, like, disliked about the restaurant industry more than anything else over the past 10 some odd years which is that uh the ones that just lean so heavily on 90s hip-hop to make some kind of point um 
you know, like it'll be like a steakhouse, but they'll have pictures of an old dirty bastard on the wall or like you go into the bagel shop and they're playing like, uh, you know, like 93 till infinity or what have you. Um, it's just like, I mean, it, it, it's kind of like this, the Twitter joke of like, so-and-so like, like this is your personality. You know, it's like liking, liking 90s hip hop isn't a personality. And it's like, I love this music, but I just hate being pandered to in that winking sort of way. This also gets into like a lot of beefs I have with the last episode of Ozark. But, you know, that's not. Wow, that's from left field. (laughs) Bringing that. Yeah. Ruth Ruth Langmore is not going to be listening to fucking Elmatic and Enter the 36 Chambers on a loop. Please put in some like three, six mafia side projects in there. I, I, been to that part of the country like don't don't i i just can't stand when like writers on tv shows like try to like enter their personality quirks into uh characters that are nothing at all like that yeah I, well we're, we're, you're, yeah jim croce and ozark this is where this episode's going you're hitting on something that uh that i also you know, an opinion that i that i happen to share that like when music is reduced to a signifier of taste, which I feel yeah. like it often is in these environments where it's like, we are, uh, you know, complimenting you on your good taste by being here. And we're playing this kind of music because we recognize yeah. that people like you and people like us who are, you know, people of taste and distinction, this is the kind of music that we like. And that is so gross to me when that happens and not saying that will is doing this will you sound like you're just a big music fan you want to play music it sounds like you uh have enjoyed hearing great music in other places i feel like ian and i instead of answering your question Mm. we're just sort of like uh crapping on the idea that you should play good music in a restaurant at all uh but yeah i again i I do think sometimes that in these environments, music is treated as like, you know, another form of furniture almost like we have, we Uh. have hip furniture. We have like hip, uh, you know, cocktails on the menu and now we're going to be playing this music. And, and that's not really something that I, I personally, uh, like I'm trying to think of like places that I've gone to in the past just because I thought Mm. they had great music. Yeah. I can't think of any, like I, I cannot think of, yeah, I can't think of a restaurant I've gone to. Where, um, yeah, I, I can't. I like a good jukebox, which is a, a yeah, a jukebox, which yes. is a rarity now, where it's not just touch tunes. I mean, I have gotten to bars where I thought, oh yeah, they just have an amazing, you know, selection here, and and that's always cool. Like where I feel like I can pick the soundtrack, and I guess in that instance, mm-hmm. I am forcing people to listen to what I like, but they also don't know me, and I'm just in the crowd, <laughs> and. Uh, Sometimes I, I remember there was this one bar uh, where it was like a like a dirtbag bar in my college town, and they had Scorpions' mm-hmm. greatest hits on there, and <laughs> we would play Winds of Change on repeat, like for like we like we put Winds of Change in ten times, and then we would leave. Okay, I can't fuck with that. Like it's gotta be big city nights, rock you like a hurricane, like not the fucking. Well, that's the point uh, though. Like we would put it on ten times and then leave. <laughs> You know, like, so then people have to listen to Winds of Change 10 times in a row. So really, maybe maybe that's my answer. Just play Winds of Change over and over again. Yeah. I think that would be a good, because yeah. you could call your restaurant Winds of Change, and that that could be maybe part of the gimmick of, of the place. And maybe serve German food, uh, German beers, uh, have, have yeah. mulleted uh bartenders like with that leather <laughs> cap on like the lead singer of oh, scorpions man. well anyway let's get to the yes. meat of our episode enough about the scorpion we were talking about scorpions jim croce and yeah. ozark we're giving this the- is some of our most random subjects that come up i think in, in uh, i think history. this does not bode well for uh the arcade fire discussion that we're that we're trying to well, delay it to talk about these other things yeah yeah exactly well let's talk about uh the new arcade fire record it's called we it's the sixth arcade fire record it's their first album mm-hmm. in five years coming after the much maligned everything now from 2017 and uh this is a seven song 40 minute record it's interesting because the early reviews of this album in places like the new yorker and stereo gum were very positive calling it you know one of the best arcade fire albums ever 
And it seems like the reviews that have come out closer to the album release, and I'll include my review, which was on mm-hmm. Uproxx this week, as well as Rolling Stone's review, um, Pitchfork's review, I think just dropped right before we mm-hmm. started recording uh, today, have been a little bit more mm-hmm. measured. Um, my review, I wouldn't say is a pan, but it's very mm-hmm. mixed and probably mixed to negative. Right. Um, and the idea with this record, which you could tell right away from the first single, which was the Lightning 1-2, which I think is probably the best song on the record. Easily the best song. It is, like, not even close. <laughs> it, it, it When it came out, it, it felt like Arcade Fire's version of Beautiful Day. Mm-hmm. You know, the U2 song where U2, you know, they went through their rough period with pop in 1997 and the Pop Mart tour, which, uh, you know, for a U2 tour, didn't go all that well. There were a lot of shows that were under-attended, and it mm-hmm. seemed like U2 was on the ropes. In the same way Arcade Fire is now. So you 2 they came back and they made a record that was... It was almost as if the 90s hadn't happened. Like, they right. just made a record that was very reminiscent of the Joshua Tree, our Unforgettable Fire, all those 80s records. And they put up Beautiful Day, which is a great song, mm-hmm. I think. And uh, the rest of that record, although you can't leave behind, I think is a little more mixed. I yeah. think Beautiful Day is easily the best song on that album. Mm-hmm. In the same way that Lightning 1-2, I think, is the best song on We... Um, but the idea is to tell the, is to say to people like, we know you used to like us Uh and then we screwed up, but now we sound like the way we used to. Yeah. And there was a lot of hype, I think about this album after that single dropped. Uh, but after hearing the album, um, I was pretty disappointed by this album, Mm. I have to say. Um, and I mean, I wrote a review about it, so I've already got my opinion out there. Mm -hmm. Um, but from talking with you, we were DMing (laughs) this week about it. I feel like you really don't like this record. So, I mean, let me me gather my thoughts here. So, uh, (laughs) we talk, like, on this, just by nature of the fact that we cover the biggest news and reviews of the week, uh, naturally going to run into stuff that I'm not super into. Stuff that, you know, like St. Vincent, for example, artists that never really connected with me, or just stuff that is super popular, but is clearly not geared to my interest. So um, this, I, I, I can't recall the last time I've been as excited to discuss a album here on IndieCast because this is a feeling that I've not had in a very, very long time, which is that um, I, my first listen, I fucking hated this record. Like to the <laughs> degree of the degree you can hate something only from a band that you used to love or it brought me back to 2004 2005 sort of era where you know you would read a rave review on pitchfork go spend 18 dollars on a cd come back and like wonder like what the fuck am i like what have i just done right here because you know look chris deville's a friend of the pod um but you know the stereo gum review reminded me of that time when you would read reviews of records that you couldn't hear yet um, and they would be like really over the top and you, it, it would just like make you ex- like excited. It's like, oh, fuck, I got to check this out. Like, I, I don't care how good or bad it is. I think, I, you know, as, as much as I disagree with the content of that review, I appreciate the spirit of it, of going out on a limb. Um, but yeah, like, and it's the, it's, it's the comeback nature of this record that really just bugged me because so much of what art, what has turned me off about arcade fire, I guess, since reflector is that it's so self-conscious about the way it wants to position itself, which really cuts against the things that arcade fire does well, which is just this super corny, earnest, uh, communal catharsis. And, Everything about this album from like the we're shifting from I in the first half to we or when Butler's concerned about the end of the American empire, like not one single bit of it registers is even remotely genuine. Um, it just feels like manipulative, not just like for, like the connection between the artist and the musician, but like the entire press rollout, which people took real issue with on Reflector and... Um, everything now it's the same thing it's just now that it's like hey we apologize for that this is the arcade fire that you know and love and it 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 just registers as so fucking phony to me yeah i just want to be clear that i don't think 
that there's anything wrong with a band saying we've experimented a little bit and it didn't really work. So we're going to return to what people know us for and what we do the best. I think that that can be done well if you are still capable of like writing great songs in that style. You know, one album I compared the new Arcade Fire album to was Imploding the Mirage, which is the Killers record that came out in 2020, which I think is a much better example of what Arcade Fire is trying to do Mm. on this record. Uh, You know, the Killers, they went through a period where uh, you know, they put out some records that weren't that well received. They actually like lost some band, mem- band members. So there's like only like there were only two like regular guys in that band. I think Brandon Flowers member. and the guy with the beard. Yes, Ronnie. Yes, <laughs> uh, the, the, they were the only ones left, and it really looked like oh, this band's falling apart, and they're just hanging on because they have a you know a, a profitable brand. Yeah, and then they put out this record, imploding the Mirage, and I, I think the thing. Well, I think there's like two things that the Killers record has that this arcade fire doesn't have one are one is like genuinely great songs that you can put with the most famous killer singles, like my own soul's warning or uh, uh caution. Like those two songs, I think you could put them with, uh, you know, somebody told me or uh, Mr. Brightside or any of those songs, you could put them with them and, and, and they would glamorous fit. indie rock and roll. We got to mention that. Whereas like arcade fire, like I don't think there's any song on this record that you would put, on a mix of like 10 great Arcade Fire songs. Mm -hmm. I think you would mainly stick with the first three albums. So the songwriting, I think, isn't quite where it needs to be. The other thing, and this is, I think, almost as important, is that like on Imploding the Mirage, I felt like the killers were enjoying reviving this aspect of what they do like like on uh caution like they brought in lindsey buckingham to play a variation of his guitar solo from the chain yeah you know and it's like like you could just you could almost like feel them just being like geeked out by that like when you Mm -hmm. listen to that song and it was so fun and there's a certain joylessness i think to this arcade fire record where it feels like we need to do this or we're going to lose our status as an arena rock band. Yeah. You know, like this is a blatant, you know, sort of salvaging of our career type move. And I'm sure the killers felt the same when they made their record. I'm sure they felt like we need to step up so we can salvage our career. Well, they've always been, they've always been like more honest about their commercial ambitions. Well, and, and again, they had fun with it. Yeah. It didn't feel like an exercise in reviving a career. It felt like we're having a good time. We're having a blast. Like we, we're making a big sound because that's mm-hmm. what we do and we enjoy it. And I don't get that sense from this record. Like in a way, this album made me appreciate everything now yep. more. <laughs> because the thing with everything now, for all of the weaknesses of that record and all of the sort of irritating aspects of the rollout of that album. And there are many irritating there, aspects. <laughs> there's many, but you never felt like they weren't committed to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were all in on that album. Yeah. And and they weren't making a predictable Arcade Fire album. I mean, part of what's annoying about that album is that you felt in a way that they weren't doing what you felt like they should be doing as a fan. You know, the flip side of that is that, well, maybe bands should do that sometimes, even if they fail. Yeah. You know, I you felt like they were trying to do something great on that record, and they didn't do it, but the attempt was there. Mm-hmm. I don't get that same feeling from this album. I don't, I, I, this doesn't seem like an album that was ever going to be great to me. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, they were trying to do something different on everything now, but like between that and reflector, it's pretty obvious what they were trying to do was like, they've just been following the YouTube playbook. Uh, Cause that, you know, was their octung baby, uh, Zuropa and uh, pop mashed into one. But I mean, with, what, what, the the line I always come back to with uh, all that you can't believe behind is Bono like overtly saying we're reapplying to be the biggest band in the world again, and like first off like Arcade Fire is not you too big. I think we need to be clear about that. But yeah, this is like when I think about like reapplying for a job, I just think about like oh god, now I got to fucking do my LinkedIn again, write a cover letter. This is exhausting. And but at the same time, trying to put my best foot forward. And I think the lightning does that. Um, there are so many little Easter eggs on this album that r- try to remind you of funeral. Like the first song is structured like Neighborhood One. The second song has a drum fill similar to Neighborhood Four, Power Out. And 
Um, I, you know, the sound of this album is incredible. Don't get me wrong. Like, I think it's a really cool sounding record. Nigel Godrich uh, really did a, a, a nice job with like, uh, you know, spreading out the stereo field or whatever, like whatever nerd shit you want to talk about. But the the problem just comes back to um, Will Win Butler. I don't think really has anything to say about like our current state of the world. Um, I mean, like we're talking like straight up like sad, bad rhyming, uh, high, low stuff, um, and you know there there are the lines where he, you know he throws in new phone, who this, I unsubscribe, like. It, to me, it's not altogether it's so diff- bad. Yeah, the it's not altogether so different than you know everything now. He just can't really decide whether it's a hopeful album or an album that like wants to criticize um, you know our reliance on the internet or whatever. And you know all these like big uh, images of the end of the empire, taking pills, falling asleep in front of the TV. It, it I just don't think there's any sort of original thought to it, and that alone isn't that is not a fatal flaw because i mean the suburbs if you and neon bible like they didn't really say a whole lot new about the state of the union it's just that you could tell at all points that um when butler and the rest of the band were operating from a point of like you know real emotions (laughs) like they were singing about their own experience their own life and um I think especially going from reflector to now, it's just lost that basis in emotion because, you know, this is like everything now and maybe even this album like gets people thinking, oh my God, like was Arcade Fire always that corny? Kind of similar to like when you hear a current Kanye album. It's like, man, was he always this bad at rapping? It's like perhaps, but I think the emotion of Funeral like was undeniable. I think you know, the emotion of the suburbs was undeniable because it was based on his own real life. And now it's like, this is just them. Like, I think it's just them kind of guessing at what like a cathartic 2022 album should be. Well, and I mean, with Arcade Fire, I don't think the catharsis really even comes from lyrics. I don't think it's ever done that. I think lyrics, if anything, have like detracted from their music, but like where, huh. where the power comes from, I think ultimately is their, uh, a, you know, their mastery of dynamics. Yes. You know, their ability to start from a quiet place and then you, you know, put on a big drum part. And then of course you have those like big choral vocals and, you know, arcade fire songs at their best, they just overwhelm you yeah. with the dynamics of what's going on. And I think funeral obviously set the tone with that. I mean, wake up is I think still the definitive arcade fire song yeah. and you could hear everything that they do in that song. And I think why the lightning one, two hit with people is because it showed them still, you know, going to that same bag of tricks, mm-hmm. you know, they could still have a song that starts quiet and then the rhythms go faster and faster and faster. Mm-hmm. And it's like being in a car that's accelerating, you know, from zero to 90 in 10 seconds, like yeah. your heart starts beating almost against your will. It's just a physical reaction to musical stimuli. And that's, what Arcade Fire does, like they manipulate you into feeling exhilarated and, mm. and, and at their best, um, you know, which I think is on those first three records, you know, they they were just really good at that. And the problem with We, you know, in addition to the terrible lyrics is that there's like a lot of parts of this record that are just plotting. Yeah. Like the third song on the record Ugh. is this nine minute ballad. That basically stays at the same pace the entire time. Yeah, that's that's. I think we got to point out for all of like their you know prog rock ambition to like say that these songs are multi part. Like many of them are like pretty much the same. And it's like, look, November Rain is nine minutes long, yeah. but like you get like three <laughs> different slash guitar solos yes. in that song. Okay, like you're getting string sections in that. Like they're bringing a lot to the table in November rain. Uh, they're not bringing anything to this interminable song yeah. that is like, like one quarter of the record. It's like, they tried to make their own version of like, say like pure comedy or Venice bitch by Lana Del Rey. But like they, you know, they, they just, again, don't have a hell of a lot to say, you know, if like you want to make a nine minute song. Yeah, cool. Throw in some guitar solos, throw an ambient part, throw some trap beats in there. I don't, I don't know. But like, aside from like Win Butler, again, trying to unpack, you know, the, 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 the conflict between our physical beings and the internet, like, fuck man. Like, yeah, just, just, 
give me something, man. Like, I would rather hear him rap. Can we just say, like, indie rock bands, you're not allowed to make an album about the internet for yeah. a while. Can we just, like, put a pause on that? Yeah. Because I think I, I think we get the point. Like, we all, yeah, the internet's alienating and it separates people uh, when it should be bringing them together. You know, I think we've, we, you know, we've rung that bell enough. I, I think it's time to find some new uh, thematic territory. Yeah, they need to uh, listen to more Scorpions. We need more songs about big yeah. city nights and, hurri- and rocking like a hurricane and... Exactly. Uh, you know, the falling of the Berlin Wall. Um, I mean, when's it change? Uh, the lyrics to that song, I think, are as good as anything on this Arcade Fire record. You yeah, know, I, 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 would, I would tip my cap. Uh, Come on, let us walk down to Gorky Park. Yeah, dude. Isn't that the first line of that song? Probably. Like that. Um, Actually, it's whistling. Mean? I mean, if you were to do this at karaoke, it would just be two minutes of, like, parenthetical whistling. You know, that's something we don't hear enough of these <laughs> no, days. No, we are not doing, we are not going back to fucking whistling. <laughs> like, what, what, you're, um, what, what you're technically asking for is, like, a return to whistling and a return to, like, more rustic themes. Like, oh, cool, we're ready to go back to 2011. You know, Lum- there was, a, we didn't even talk about the new Lumineers album, Steve. Like, I can't, no, I can't take it seriously. Is, is there a new Lumineers joint? Oh, there probably, okay. I think so. There probably is one every week. Um... You know, you mentioned earlier about how, and I and I agree with you that like an album like this, it can make you reassess your feelings about the the old records that that you love. I'm gonna throw this out there. I don't know if this is like a hot take with Arcade Fire or not, but uh, as far as those three records go, I'm gonna say I think Funeral, and I felt this at the time. This isn't like a me changing my opinion. I think Funeral a little overrated. Mm. Neon Bible, I think, is a little underrated huh. at this point. And the suburbs is their best record. I don't think that's a hot take. Um, I mean, like, yeah, funeral, of course, is gonna be like overrated because it was just so mass. Like, it was rated to a degree that, like, I, I you just haven't seen since for a record of that level. You know what I mean? Like, uh, uh, like any sort of record that has that kind of uh, reception nowadays, like we just see it coming from fifteen miles away. Um, but yeah, I mean, funeral is like. Like, I believe all the hype about it. It's one of my favorite records of all time and kind of low-key. It's funny that, like, nowadays when I listen to it, I hear kind of an emo revival record. You know, Eight Guys. Oh, totally. Yeah, it's like very Bright Eyes-ish, Modest Mouse, Glockenspiels. But, like, that album is bloated, too, though. I, I, I feel like oh, every God. Arcade Fire record has filler to, yeah. to different to, to varying degrees. Like, because people who don't like the suburbs, they always say that it's padded, which it is... It is, but I think what I love about the suburbs is that it's the most classic rock Arcade Fire album. That is true. It's it's padded in the same way that the wall is, because (laughs) like you have to have these songs that like satisfy the concept. So like you have songs like the trial and stuff at the end of the wall, which no one really wants to listen to. Uh, And uh, the suburbs is the same, like where you have like revivals of like the main song and right. different illusions. So so I can forgive that kind of padding more than I can say, forgive like the nine minute ballad hmm. on we like that is unforgivable to me, but the padding on the suburbs I can forgive. And also because the peaks on that album uh, are really strong. The end Bible too. I feel like in a way that album is backloaded. Like I love the last four songs <laughs> on that record. Yeah. And I think, cause there's like some kind of boring songs in the middle that dragged that album down. And I wonder if that's why, because again, I'm basing this on my Twitter feed. So maybe this isn't like a widespread opinion, but I feel like people slag neon Bible a little bit. Mm. And I wonder if that's why, just because like the middle part is like the worst part of that record. Yeah. I mean, I like some of the middle, like the, the well in the lighthouse is one of my favorite arcade fire songs. Um, uh, Bad vibes is also a good song. Like, I mean, the one, What's it called? Like Antichrist Blues or something like that. Yeah, that's a whack song. But I like that song. Uh, Windowsill, not great, but yeah, no cars. Windowsill go. is a great song. Uh, I don't know. That's man. a great song. Well, either way, like I, I, I am a Neon Bible <laughs> fan. Like for whatever reason, uh, I just never wore out that album. Like you think I would, like compared to the Suburbs or Funeral, which I both think are fantastic even though they are both clearly kind of dumb in a way like ready to start dumb song we used to wait dumb song and yet the music uh is just so propulsive that it just allows you to suppress whatever critical reflex 
that you might have. But yeah, and I think Neon Bible does that too because you start to see when kind of overreaching with the lyrics and like the yeah. Themes. I mean that, that that title is so stupid. Yeah, Neon Bible. But oh, come on. I don't know. Like my body is a cage. Like I go that I think embodies my opinion towards Neon Bible because like sometimes I'm like yeah, this is this song's fucking awesome. Other times I think it's like a little ridiculous. Um, <laughs> I, I, went, I like that song. Yeah, I think I think I think why I like that song is someone cut a video of that song set to scenes from Once Upon a Time in the West, the Sergio Leone movie. I don't know if you saw this. This was like a viral video, you know, when that album came out, as much as you could have a viral video in 2007. Uh, But I thought that was so cool. So I think I picture that video whenever I hear that Mm -hmm. song, and it makes me... I remember going to to see the Reflector documentary, and there was a QA and a afterwards, and someone brought up Neon Bible and Wynn was still very mad that Pitchfork did not like My Body as a Cage. Like, this is six years later. He just seems like the kind of guy who would hold a grudge against a bad review. So uh, we'll find out. I think we'll find out soon enough if Arcade Fire listen to IndieCast. Yeah, you know, again, uh, I wanted to love this record. Yeah, I, I really liked that first single. And uh, yeah, this was a disappointment for me. You know, I was I was let down. I, I, I really wanted to like it. Mm. And I think it just falls short. And I'm kind of back on the thing of like, I feel like this band's done creatively. I I don't know what else they can do. I think they had those first three albums. And and that's all, you know, look, you know, that's still a lot. That's still a big accomplishment to have three records that mean a lot to people. And Mm. and I know there's Reflector fans out there too. So maybe, maybe you go to four albums with them and look, hell, there might be even everything now truthers out yeah, there that, that um, got them on the radio a good amount like i, I mean it, it maybe it's like i don't know the the version of um you know those mid 90s alt rock albums were like this in like the your indie favorite makes a sellout major label album and like you kind of forget their stuff before it yeah you know yeah that could be true but w- what would this album be then <laughs> would this be like the uh <laughs> I don't know. Is this the one, like, I, I, usually when, like, bands stick around this long, they, like, make the weird, like, oh, they tried to make a trip-hop record or something like that. But I don't know. Like, I, I think with this one, uh, the my, uh, maybe my biggest problem with this is that I, too, understand how there's, like, this desire for to, to relive, I guess, the glory days of indie rock. But there are so many bands, there are so many bands that are doing, like, what RK Fire did but way better. It's like, I would wonder if someone who thinks this is like this, um, I don't know, this phenomenal return to form, like what they think of if they heard like a gang of youths record or if they heard like the new black country, new road, or if they heard like string machine, like these bands that are, uh, kind of touching on what the arcade fire does without the obsession of reviving the arcade fire brand. Yeah, I mean, I I think that's something that we can leave people with. Listen to We a few times, mm. but then really stick with Gang of Youth, String Machine, and Black Country New Road. I think you will be much happier <laughs> with that as your soundtrack. Or just listen to Funeral again. You probably haven't listened to that in a minute. All right, we've now reached the part of our episode that we call Recommendation Corner, where Ian and I talk about something that we're into this week. Ian, why don't you go first? All right, so yeah, we haven't done Recommendation Corner in a minute, so I'm going to bring an album that came out, I believe, a few weeks ago. It's an album from an artist called Hatchie. It's called Giving the World Away. Um, I've enjoyed this artist kind of a la carte. Uh, They'll put out... Uh, a few songs every now and again like not they're not a great they haven't been a great album artist but their music kind of reminds me of a lot of the songs i would hear working at the gap in 1998 they'd be kind of kind of dancey but kind of shoegaze a little bit trip hop um so her new album is kind of at the midsection i swear to god this is a positive thing of olivia rodrigo and like i don't know turnovers peripheral vision it's just pure mall shoegaze junk food. Like, I think Dan Nigro is involved in the songwriting. Um, and I don't think this is, like, an album that, you know, changes the game or what have you. But it's the it's a kind of album that I look for and never seem to find, which is that it's one that, if I were to review it, I would, like, you know, say three and a half stars, like, or 6.8. Like, an album that has clear flaws. But nonetheless, I listen to it way more than albums that are actually great. Um 
it 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 just makes me think of like if I were like twenty two and like had a crush on somebody, uh, what would I be listening to? And it's like totally this. It is corny as hell, but in a way that like just hits straight to my heart. And um, yeah, if you like any, if you like any of the stuff I mentioned, like mall, like mall pop, shoegaze, uh like late nineties detritus of major label trip hop buying phase. I swear to God, this is all positive. Hatchie is really scratching that itch for me. Yeah. I like this record too. It reminds me a little bit of that Biba Doobie album. Yes. that came out. Was that 2020? It, it, it has a similar vibe to that. As you're saying of like, uh, just like really poppy, variations on like cooler music you know like it's like a more accessible version of it and like you said in a way it's more enjoyable than maybe the stuff that's more critically acclaimed yeah it's not trying to be super internet-y it is just like a a 1998 garbage album lost in time garbage the band not garbage the uh yeah i was gonna say like this reminds me of like like a cd i would have bought at best buy for 798 you know in 2000 like Three or four. Yeah, like that is the IndyCast seal of approval right there. Yeah, <laughs> where you're just like, I'm buying this because like it looks like like pretty fun yeah. and it's super cheap. Yeah, and, I'm gonna uh, buy this in a Foreman grill and just like make my sad little <laughs> hamburger as a 22 year old. So I wanted to uh, sh- I'm gonna shout out two albums here because uh, we haven't done IndyCast uh, recommendation corner in a while. Uh, I feel like we have to acknowledge the new Sharon Van Etten record, which came out today. Normally, we would, we would have talked about it, but like we just had so much to say about Arcade Fire. So I just want to make sure that I, I shout out the album. It's called We've Been Going About This All Wrong. And Sharon did a sort of an unusual album cycle with this where she didn't put out any singles because she wants people to experience the album as a complete entity. So huh. it's, it's an interesting strategy. I wonder if it somehow maybe diluted the buzz before the record came out. I feel like maybe people weren't talking about it quite as much as you would expect for an artist of Sharon Van Etten's uh, caliber. Uh, but look, she's an extremely reliable artist. Yeah. Her catalog, <laughs> you know, is very consistent. Uh, I would say this album is like a little mellower than her previous record. Definitely Remind me tomorrow, which was more of like a rock album and that's like one of my favorite things that she's done so like this new album i like it it hasn't quite grabbed me as much as remind me tomorrow but i also feel like that was deliberate i'm sure on some part it it is really a return to her more contemplative introspective style so if that's something you were missing from remind me tomorrow i think you're really going to like this record i also wanted to shout out an album that came out a few months ago that slipped uh under my radar and but I've been listening to it this week and I've been really enjoying it. It's called Don't Go Throwing Roses in My Grave. It's by Gregor Barnett of the band The Menzingers. Oh, uh, is this the first time we've like discussed the Menzingers on IndieCast? Well, it, we're, 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 it's sort of like a tangential mention. We'll have to get into the Menzingers at some point. But the, Menzing, the Menzingers, of course, are a much beloved uh, emo band. Ooh, I don't know about I, I don't know about emo. All right, we're not going to get into yeah. that. We're not going to get into like you know, they're emo. Du- they're dudes rock, not emo. But I feel like on this solo record, he's leaning even more into, I think, like the Heartland Rock and oh, yeah. Americana influences that exist in the Menzingers that I think are like a little held back uh, because that because they are essentially like an emo or a punk band with, uh, with, with some Heartland Rock flourishes. I feel like this solo record is more of just like a straightforward Heartland Rock record, but it has the things that are great about Menzinger songs. There's lots of storytelling lyrics on this record. Uh, so the lyrics pull you in great, you know, really good kind of narrative songwriting uh, with like, again, like big hearted guitar music that you would expect me to recommend and recommend. So this album came out in February. Uh, I, I think it's on Epitaph records, yeah. but uh, for whatever reason, I had not heard about it until this week. Mm. Um, but again, I've been really enjoying it. So definitely go check out, that album again called "Don't Go Throwing Roses in My Grave." Mm. Interesting that it's in my grave and not on my grave. Yeah, because because no, I think this, the phrase is normally on my grave, but I guess the idea is that the, you know Gregor Barnett is being buried, and people are about to throw flowers on his casket as the dirt is being put on it, and he's saying, "No, don't do that." <laughs> I guess that's he's the idea being the very very to. fucking clear about this. Yes, it's like the, it's yeah. Once the dirt is on top of me. 
And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just dead and buried. Then you could throw some roses because I can't really do anything about it anyway. Yeah. But don't throw it in my grave. Yes. Maybe on my grave is okay. Yeah. Um, that about does it for our, our latest episode of IndieCast. Thank you for listening. We'll be back with more news and reviews and hashing out trends next week. And if you're looking for more music recommendations, sign up for the Indie Mixtape Newsletter. You can go to uprocks.com backslash indie, and I recommend five albums per week, and we'll send it directly to your email box. Music.